Welcome to the Performance Health Podcast. My name is Tim Karen. Today we got Eric Hernandez from the University of North Carolina talking about progressive overload. This was an awesome conversation. I am so stoked on how this came out. Eric is a really smart guy with a ton of experience and a ton of great insight that I think is just going to bring an overall incredible value to you, the young coach out there trying to improve their ability to connect with your athletes. Eric talked about a couple other topics too, like starting an online business and and having cl- camps and clinics if you're working in a team setting. This is really cool insight, and I thought Eric did an amazing job. So this is a, a fun conversation. I hope you guys enjoy. If you guys want to learn more about progressive overload, as well as over 50 other modules we have breaking down things from training, coaching, nutrition, and movement, head over to phpodcast.com, become a member, get access to all of our modules, all of our conversations, all of the audio and written part, as well as the videos from our case studies, ton of value there, 20 bucks a month. Can't recommend it enough. If you want to get the most from these actual podcasts, you got to become a member of phpodcast.com. Well, if you guys uh, want to dive into this, let's get Eric on the call and let's go through progressive overload. All right, everybody, we are here. We got an interview with progressive overload with Eric Hernandez at University of North Carolina. Super excited for this. Eric, why don't you go through a little bit of your background, and then um, I want to touch base on what you got going on with online training. Sure. So uh, uh, I've been at University of North Carolina for about uh, 12 years now. Uh, before that, I was uh, at Arizona State. I did a brief internship there with their football program in 2010. Before that, I was at uh, I was I graduated from Loyola University in Chicago, where I was a shot putter about 50 pounds ago. And where I had some pretty serious injuries uh, in my lower back uh, that I came back from, luckily. Um, and then also I did an internship at a high school there. And that's important because that high school I worked for uh, ended up being the connection to North Carolina when I was at Arizona State. The guy I worked for was a retired uh, strength coach, Tim Lang, uh, who worked for the uh, for DePaul as a head guy and then also for the Texas Rangers uh, pro team. And he's and he knew my boss now. And, and uh, when we were at a conference together, he said, hey, well, you know, are you are you looking for any help? And Tim and Tim told my boss now that, yeah, you know, this guy would do a great job. So that's how I ended up in North Carolina, thankfully, because uh, being from the Midwest, the, the weather's uh, significantly better uh, down here in North Carolina. So I've been at uh, UNC for 12 years and from an intern to a part time to full time. Now my title is a associate director for Olympic sports and uh, I work with currently our men's lacrosse team, both our golf teams, our volleyball team. And I'd spent the last eight years with women's cross where we won. I was a part of two other national championships, including the undefeated season last year, which is pretty fun to be a part of. I've helped with almost every team on campus, uh, except for a football team, except for a women's basketball team. But I, had the, the, um, I was lucky enough to work for uh, Jonas Serration for a few years, who is, uh, in my opinion, uh, one of the best, if not the best, uh, training coach in the country, uh, where I really had you know, really got to dive deep on different things and really open up my, my viewpoint on, on training. Uh, but then also, like you said, I, I uh, as a as a strength coach, is trying to figure out how to make uh, ends meet. I have a, a two little kids, uh, a three-year-old and a six, and soon to be six-year-old and a lovely wife that uh, luckily gets to stay at home with them. But that was an important thing for our family. So I needed to figure out how to kind of make some other ends meet. And one of that was via, um, you know, this new online model that's been kind of opening up and uh, you know, that's another avenue that I know we'll discuss today, but, um, but that's where it originated from. 
All right. All right. So, you know, it's really interesting. 12 years at a place, you know, that's, that's kind of unprecedented in a lot of ways and being every level, right. From trying to make edge, edgewise sitting in as an intern and trying to build yourself up over time. But in the other end, going into this dynamic of being there for such an extended period of time and then having enough, I guess, value from you to the actual university that they promote you to uh, an associate AD, um, which is an amazing story in itself. And it's a rarity, right? Cause like, you know, most people have to move on or make a lateral move to move up. Right. So it goes from UNC to like, all right, man, I'm going to go down to UNC Greensboro to try to get a, a part-time 10 month position. And then I'm going to just keep my eyes for on the, on the boards for looking at UNC if they ever have a job open again, hopefully I made a good impact and get back in where I think that's something that's kind of a shame about the way. And I've, I've always looked at that as like my best potential next coach is the one that's currently there. Cause I know Eric's going to be on time. I know Eric's really reliable. I know Eric's really skilled and talented. You know, I'm not looking for the next best person. Like I'm looking at Eric, like this guy busting his ass and you're more motivated knowing that there's a potential to go in there and work your way up. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who saw the value right away, but it's another really amazing note. But what that being said is I'm sure this is what spawned the online training. It's 12 years of relationships and 12 years of athletes hitting you up about three months after they're done playing, man, I miss what we were doing. There's any way you could write me a program and, you know, being the eager beaver that we all are like, absolutely. I'll send you an Excel file, whatever we're doing with the team, or I'll, you know, I'll take a little bit more time to customize it for you. And at a certain point, it's an opportunity cost, right? You have a three and a six-year-old, you get a wife that you have to have a relationship with this as well, by the way. And then you have hundreds of athletes to deal with on a daily basis and coaches and administration. Now you're an associate AD. So you have to have more bureaucratic meetings, so to speak. That's all time that you have to take away from those folks that are like, that's your job and that's your priority. So now it's like 12 years of relationships, thousands of athletes hitting you up saying, Hey, like I love a program for you, man. Like if you just spend an hour to two hours out of your day to write me a custom program out of your time, like that's, it's a lot. And kudos to you for saying, Hey, I want to develop an online platform to service those athletes, maybe some other folks outside of that. But on top of it, you know, not eat into this time without some sort of evaluation or how was that process for you? Like there was there like a, a moment for you or like, I don't know if I feel comfortable doing this or what was the first time you potentially asked for money and what that felt like? Well, that's a, a good question. I, and I, it didn't happen as fast as I probably would have wished, you know, that, cause I think I had to get better as a coach. Uh, so, you know, I, it was later in my career uh, that people started asking more cause I got better as a coach and they started seeing value, I suppose. Um, I think it was, I want to say it was like maybe just before COVID or something. So it's only been a few years, but, uh, a former volleyball player of mine was like, you should really like, he was asking just for help. She wanted to go play professionally. So she's like, Hey, could I, uh, you know, could you help me with a program? And I loved her while she was here. She even helped babysit. And, you know, so I was like, yeah, sure. I'd love to get back, get back to you. But then I'd find myself sitting there staring at a computer screen and I already written, you know, five programs for the day for other teams or individuals. And I didn't want to sit there and write another program, but I wanted to help her out. And so I did it. And then, and then I said, and I, we kind of dialogued and she's like, you know, like other girls would still be interested in this. Like, like, have you thought about doing this online? And I'm like, uh, yes, I don't know. I'm like, well, let me try a little beta version. So I reached out to like, you know, probably eight or nine people who, work had gone off and asked me for some help and I just made one program. I sent it out to them and 
it was awful. It was the worst Excel sheet. So many questions, so many like videos I was writing, like uh, sending and resending the same video and wasting so much time. And I really wanted to quit on it because I'm like, this is just too much. But then I didn't want to give up that easy um, just because I saw it as a demand, right? That you could maybe, I could maybe uh, benefit from financially. But I also really like helping people. And, you know, I think the hardest part about being at a university sometimes is that, you know, as soon as they graduate, they're on campus or something, they still want your help and you still want to help them. You feel like they're still part of your responsibility or coaches. So I was getting all these inquiries on campus and then off campus. And, and then I realized, and then I did my first kind of rendition of, of trying to do this remote trade thing. And I realized how bad it was. And then COVID hit and I had more time on my hands. So then I started videoing. Then I started kind of playing with formatting and then I started to just streamline and like, you know, my first Excel down to where I'm at now is completely different. I still haven't uh, changes to make. I still need to get a lot better. And, and it's, it's just kind of evolved over two years. Now I have like 600 videos online, but I also wanted to see it for the benefit of, I was looking for like most things I can get done at once and be efficient. And I didn't see it as just online platform. I also had the same issues with incoming freshmen and kids when they're home over break where they, Hey, can you provide me a program? And I would do it. Oh, how do I do this? How do I do this? Well, video supporting makes it a lot easier. Well, then I can also use that with private clients. All right. It's also helping my incoming freshmen. It's also helping this. So I started seeing like the multi-value and, and everything I was doing and it made it easier to keep going while I was in this introduction phase where I didn't feel comfortable, honestly, charging people for something because I wasn't happy with my product yet. Uh, just like it'd be hard for me to ask more money if I thought was, if I was in a better coach, you know, I'd, I, I needed to be better at this before I could feel comfortable reaching out. And I probably could have added, I could have asked for money earlier, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to, unless I knew it was tight. Um, so fast forward a little bit longer. Now I'm, I'm feel more confident and I, and I started charging some people, you know, and the hardest part was like, okay, Hey, I need, I need to charge, I need to charge you for this. And they'd be like, okay, how much? 50 bucks, 150 bucks to, you know, who knows what, know how I set the price that in those earlier stages. And then I'd have some people do it and then they stop. And then I try to push it up a little higher. And I told them when I first asked me and I said, how much is it? And I'd say, give them the price. And I told them, but the, here's the reason why one, I don't want to write the program for you unless I'm getting time because I'm just way too busy, honestly. So I, I can't carve in an hour to, to write something for you unless it makes sense on my end. Two, you're not going to do it unless you pay for it because I've given out way too many free programs that people do for one week and then they stop. So I don't want you to have bad results and blame me because you didn't pay for something. And I just, I was very upfront with them. And I've always been upfront with them when they're like, if for the kids that are, that have gone on and are still training, I've always been upfront with them when they're here. So they know that I'm just completely honest. Like I had no qualms around this. Like, Hey, you're not going to work out unless you're paying me. Mm -hmm. I hate it, but like, you're going to go to the gym more often. Cause I do the same thing. You know, I pay a coach now and it's because, and I don't miss a workout because of it, yeah. but it's just, it's just one of the things you're investing in your health. So I don't feel bad anymore because once they get over that financial hump, once they get in six weeks, then they're like, yeah, if I didn't do this, then I probably wouldn't do the workout. Yeah. Uh, so once I started getting those six stories, pricing became easy because it wasn't about me making money off of them. It was about me helping them. And we both understand that financial investment is a great uh, motivator for actually doing your work on both parts. So yeah. then, then it was cool because now I had these great products, right. That, and I still want to help people. So I have a, a new kind of rule of thumb 
uh, say if an athlete wants to seek me out for programming while they're maybe they graduated in December for the on campus. Say, okay, sounds good. Uh, I can share you the program that I have some remote programming with. All right. But here's what's going to cost you maybe a post. Maybe you have to babysit for me one day. You know, you're going to do something for me. But once you get out of college and you take your first job, you are going to make more money than me in your first year than I will make than I'm making right now. So then if you still want to go, you have to pay me then. You know, you don't get anything once you get once you get your first job. And they're like, okay, that's good. And, and then it's, it's a great trial run too, right? And it's seeing what their loyalty and dedication to the program is, and they're seeing the value you could bring for them for the rest of their life. It's amazing, yeah. Yeah, and, and it and, and it helped, it scratches my itch really wanted to help people too. Because I've already done the work, I've created the program, I've sold it, right? And now I can use this to help. It's like it's just like a you see oftentimes every like it's a free month at whatever facility. If it's a free uh, a free trial with that, that's what I'm doing for these kids while they're still trying to develop and figure out what's important for them. And I and it's part of the natural process that I went through as a student athlete who graduated and that I see over and over again. They want to try it first, figure out what they want to do. Okay, I don't, Eric, I need your help. Okay, so they've 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 spanned it already while they're here, being comfortable that they don't know how to work out themselves, maybe, or maybe they need their time away. I think that's good too. And then they come back and they get it. By the time they graduate, then they realize that it's important to invest in it. It works out for everybody. Yeah. You know, and you mentioned a couple of really interesting things in there. And I think this is true in the college setting that we probably don't appreciate, but incoming freshmen and in discretionary periods or break periods and this dynamic of, you know, it's not really a priority because I can't control it, you know, and what if, what if you can kind of create a great on-ramp to your introductory program when they get on, on campus? And then what if during periods of transition from in-season to off-season or from spring to summer, or even throughout the entire summer, you can get great compliance and great execution without you being there. And I think we can say this assuredly that, you know, there's, and I, I, I was thinking about this a lot during the pandemic because I own a in-person business. And that in remote based training was getting a huge uptick and everyone was kind of like thinking in the back of their mind, what is this our new reality, right? Like, what if you have to train hundred percent remotely for all your athletes and just show up for game day, you know, like what, what would that be? Like, so I got to get better and there's Peloton and there's Tonal and there's all these other like direct in-home person, one person model that are killing it and crushing it. And people really resonate with that. And they're doing a really good job. It's a tight product. It's a really well put together product. That's why they're public companies. So you get your ass kicked on that end. It's like, okay, like I know I can write a better program than everyone on Tonal and Peloton, even if they do it for the next 50 years, like they're still not going to touch me. Like I can't, they can't even come close to what I could do for someone. Why am I getting my ass kicked when it comes to that? Oh, they're way better at the online platform. They're way better at marketing and advertising it and making compelling and interesting. And they're way better at understanding like people respond really well to certain metrics and like, oh, you level up by getting 10 rides in a week. Like, oh, that's Okay. How do I do that with my freshmen and how do I get like a better you know, block zero program as they come in? Or how do we not lose a bunch of ground going into from spring to summer? You know, I'm like, all right, man, I can probably figure this out. So something that you see, OK, monetarily potentially had motivation incentive. But the other end, it's well, like, look at that. Now you're bringing more value to your current athlete. So it's like get over that fear of stigmatism that like. You know, what you're doing is selfish or self-serving. Actually, you're more well-rounded and you're more, you diversified your portfolio of strength conditioning that you can be almost as effective remotely as you are in person. Still prefer in person, but 
you know, who would have thought, um, which is an amazing, cool and interesting thought. And now you have systems that you can communicate to your clients and athletes to have correspondence and support them remotely. And yeah, it's maybe a, maybe it's always going to be a percentage of what it could be like if you're in person where you can troubleshoot and have contingencies and work through the dailies. But on the other end, maybe you turn it from 70% level of effectiveness to 90% level of effectiveness. And that 20% gap could be a huge difference year over year, uh, which is really cool and amazing. And then I think this is the part that I always really am keen to hear other coaches talk about was because I, I distinctly remember it. I can tell you my first client at Allegiant was an online client. And I remember getting to that point where he's like, all right, I'm in. And I'm like, holy shit, I don't even know what we're charging and I don't even know how to get money. I'm like, so I pause and I look at my business partner. I'm like, what do we do now? And he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, all right, man, it's a hundred bucks a month, month to month. Is that cool? He's like, yeah, that's fine. And I'm like, great. Um, I'll send you some information here in a second. And then we had to figure out how to collect payment after that. It was really funny, but I'm like, we never think that far down the road, but you know, the fear of like, uh, it's gonna, gonna charge. And then the other fear of like, Oh my God, I don't even know how to collect payment or do this or organize that or keep track of that. And then, then you think too, like one of the best lessons I learned was like after that, what if this scaled out to a thousand people in a month? How would I organize this? And how, like, of those thousand people, like I'm missing payments or I'm missing me sending out programs. So I got to work in developing systems. If it was a thousand tomorrow, what would I do? And how would we organize this? And how would we make sure we ensure getting payment, which is, you know, another thing after the fact, you're like, all right, you know, like there's a lot of things to consider, um, which is all really fun and cool. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, and then I saw you're doing some like in-person, like speed clinics here and there as well. Yeah. So last year I partnered up with one of our, uh, our staff members and we did a like a combination clinic where they did a little bit of skills and I did a little bit of uh, speed agility and there was a big demand for it. You know, these, when groups get out of season, they, uh, you know, in the youth level, they, they need something to do. And so what better thing to do than kind of teach them exactly how I tell, I tell parents that like, I would teach you exactly how I would, uh, I would like my freshman to come in. So then I started, I started clinic, um, but just as, as you went over, you know, terrible marketing systems are, are there. So it's, the turnout is low, but, um, it still, it still helps and it's still helping others, you know, helps me financially helps them level up and get better. And we'll, we'll see how, where that takes us uh, over the years. And, you know, it's just, because a lot of every school, what I found is that coaches do really well when they're able to take advantage of, uh, of uh, clinics and things like that. They make ends meet. So mm-hmm. I just brought the, I just brought this took picked up the same model that they had already going, broke off to it on my, on my own at a public park where I rent space from out there. So that's completely different. I mean, we just opened up our third gym and, I can't tell you how many classes I have with one person and they're like, and then one guy actually asked me, he's like, is this demoralizing? Like, you know, do you want to open the doors and say like a thousand people walking in and just beating down the doors and, you know, just giving you that confidence or that validation. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I could feel that way if you, if I let it, but on the other end, I can make you the best lifter in all of Los Angeles within this next hour. Like I can just solely focus on you and you can become a walking billboard. Like, that's the way I got to look at it right now. Like, I have to look at it that way. Because if I did it, yeah, I would be crushed with with insecurity and not like, then, wow, I'm a failure. Like, on the other end, though, like, I got one, you know, and it's like, I can make you the best lifter you could possibly be in this hour because I can focus all my attention on you. And then you can tell someone and then they can tell someone. And then over time, it's going to be 
thousands of people banging down the door. Um, and it's better that way in a lot of ways because you don't know who you are yet. You know, you don't know what you, you essentially want to do. And you might be in that park for the first time and you're like, oh, shoot, man, I forgot they do pick up soccer here at 10. Like, great. Like, I just got to work that around. I'm glad it wasn't 100 people here trying to figure that out, you know. But it's all, again, too, going into this thing of like, I think we as strength coaches can get really, like, really singular in focus. And and we could justify it by saying, oh, I'm just focusing on my athlete or I'm just I'm just working hard for the for my school. But what it doesn't do is, one, like get you outside of your comfort zone to make you better and think outside the box. Because you know that situation is going to come up with you and your athletes in, at UNC of like, you're going to get your field taken away from you and you have to find an alternative strategy to speed, agility, quickness. You know, you're going to get a change of schedule one day to the next and you have to be more creative with your solutions. Or you know that, hey, maybe a pandemic might hit and you have to do 100% remote training for a period of time. Now you're better equipped for that. And you wouldn't be if you didn't have that skill set that you were forced to develop. But on the other end, it goes into you have more talent and ability than 99% of the industry in the fitness industry. And it's a billion dollar industry. If the money's going to get allocated anywhere, it should be going to the back experts and the professionals that are doing at the highest level with the most at stake, right? Because if you are bad at your job, UNC lacrosse is bad. They are worse than they would be if they had someone less qualified. Or they're better than it would be if they had someone less qualified. So if we're looking at it from there's billions of dollars going out there on an annual basis in North America towards health and fitness, why is it a greater distribution going into to our top people, you and all the other college trade coaches out there and the folks that are qualified, certified, have experience, have awareness, know what's actually really right because they're working on such a large scale with so many athletes with their job at stake every single day and knowing the cardinal rule is just rule one is don't get them hurt. And then two, improve performance. No, many people don't do that. Like I'm telling you right now, the fitness industry doesn't think that way. They're not thinking safety right off the bat, which is a huge mistake and it's a huge problem. And they're sacrificing people's safety for interesting or compelling. And that's putting a lot, a lot of the industry in strain because people can't sustain something like that. And it's going to make us all look worse. And they don't know the difference between quality of you versus a hit gym somewhere down the road in Chapel Hill that's just breaking people in half every single week, churning them through like, hey, next person in, we'll just do more marketing. We'll get another hundred people in next week. And who cares what happens? We got them in. You know, now you're looking at it. You've had your clients for, for months on end, years on end. You have 12 years of experience at a place that people know the quality of service you have. Like you should be more comfortable going out there because it's actually the right thing to do because someone's going to get that money or get that time from that person. And that's probably not in the best interest of, of humanity. Right. And it's still an epidemic of people overweight and metabolic syndrome and low back pain. And how many of those are our former athletes? And okay, well, what are we doing about it? You know, what are we actually trying? Like, so if they're going to go with you online remotely, I'd probably say that's better than 99% of the stuff they could do else that's out there, as well as if we're going to send our kids somewhere, you know, I was talking about this with Joey G at FAU and he's like, yeah, I was, you know, just training my kid. And a lot of people were asking questions, like they're better served with you than anyone in that like Boca area. I know this, right? Like I know that for a fact, like I'm just telling you, like, I would, if I'm living in Boca and I don't know my ass from my elbow and come to training, I'm glad I have someone with skin in the game who's actually jobs on the line if he gets people hurt or doesn't improve performance versus the other person is just trying to tell me like he's going to make my son faster with no like background or information to say he could or any kind of risk profiling. Like it's just, 
we got to get over that hump or stigmatism that we're just these like grunts in a weight room and we can't break away outside of that. We have to be comfortable with that because it's not only the best interest for the people around you, it's, it's going to make you better and more diversified in your portfolio. It's just in due time and don't try to rush it and don't try to be this, uh, try to be more than you can and don't lose sight of what your primary goal is being probably a good father, husband, and then really good to your current athletes. But you can. This is awesome, man. I appreciate you sharing all that. I think one thing, because early on when I first started doing this whole thing, it was like, yeah, it's like, yeah, maybe one person you're working with. Well, one person starts everything on all ends. You know, I work with our men's golf team right now and uh, our men's golfers train awesome. They train hard. I had a guy doing snatches and overhead squats today. But when I first started, took over our program six years ago, no one really wanted to lift hard. And then I had one guy that kind of got it. And then another guy kind of got it. And now I have a whole team of guys that they show up. They all have slightly different programs. And I sit there and just coach hard, coach hard the entire time because uh, it built up, right? But that same thing happened with in the private sector because the private sector, you literally, you have to get results in college, but Olympic sports, it's not as cutthroat as, as, as football and basketball, I'll admit it. But it, there is, I mean, there's plenty at stake. But when you're trying to improve someone, and literally like they're paying you to do it by the hour or whatever, and you don't get some results then they're not going to give a reference and you're not going to get word of mouth and you will fizzle out and be screwed. So I think actually, you know, strength coaches, college coaches need to do a little bit of that. And then when they realize the parents don't want to keep paying them, well, then they need to fix something. They need to fix their approach because that's probably one of the things, just how they handle the person in front of them or their programming. And, you know, then they, cause then that was what made me stronger with, with the college athletes. I had communicating coaches, communicating the athletes, finding what makes them tick because it, it was the same thing. It just, it, I didn't, I didn't think, I don't, I don't tie the financials. I just tie the buy-in. I tie the, you know, just what makes them improve, makes them happier. If they're happier and they're going to keep coming to me. You know, I hope that these guys, when they go off and play in the PGA, they want to keep coming back to me because of how I made them feel here. Not no big deal, you know, doing your time, but that's in general. Like I, I want them to at least remember something for the rest of their life about that I gave them, whether it's a private client that I've worked with or whether it's a, a college athlete I work with. Yeah. And, and it ends up if you just have their best interest in mind, but also understand that retention is from their best interest, that, and then you will do the best job you can. And, and uh, when you have to challenge yourself by being under the, under the microscope, trying to sink or, sink or swim in the private sector, I think it helps you with when in your current job, if you're just doing work in college or something like that. Yeah. I mean, objectivity is really important. And in the private sector, it's very clear. They will pay you or they won't. Mm-hmm. And uh, every one of my gyms I own here in Los Angeles has five gyms within a stone's throw away. And they have plenty of options. It's the reason why they choose us is you know, what I could control, right? Like, so, you know, just being good customer service, not being just a jerk to everyone, uh, being on time, being professional. And then the other end is, okay, we have a plan. Can everyone execute on it? Or are we kind of all over the place, right? Like it's, it feels like that coach has a different thought process on what we should be doing on this on a daily basis. And like, you know, the McDonald's vacation of like, we're selling Big Macs, like know the product and sell it and be really good at that. Know how to make that product and know how to deliver that product. So they can come to expect it and they can make an informed choice of, yeah, I know what I'm getting here, high quality strength training. And that's very clear. And they're very professional and they're very just cordial and nice. And they're, they're not cruel or like, 
you know, judging me or sizing me up every single time I walk in, like, okay, I can control those variables, you know? And on the other end, if I'm not looking for high quality strength training or getting really good results, that's their choice. You know, that is their choice. And they can tell you that it can tell you I'm looking for something different. That's completely fine. And I think that's the part when you're going back to your teams and you're running into these constant battles with your sport coaches and with your athletes and compliance and getting weight room time. And you'll see what they really feel of you when you get in season, right? Like the, the sports coach will not carve out any time for the weight room. And it'll be an afterthought of like, not going to get it this week. In a lot of ways, that's what they perceive strength conditioning. And that's that customer telling me I'm going to go somewhere else, right? Like they're not going to anywhere in the college setting that tells you that they don't want to do it or they don't like what you're doing in some way, shape or form. And yeah, a lot of times you got to start really simple and start really like conservative and you got to build trust and, and you got to build this rapport and they go, yeah, well, bottom line, I know when our athletes could leave with Eric's weight room, they're better, they're more equipped, they're more prepared, they have a better headspace and coming off a loss or coming off a win, it's always a steadying of a ship. So we got to keep that in there. So when I'm booking out our week, we got these games, we got these practices, I'm putting strength and conditioning in there, probably at the top of the list and working the schedule around it. That's when you know you're making a really good buy-in from everyone. And then the other end, it's the same thing in private. You know, when they come in multiple times a week, they're probably not going to leave. When they, when they're posting your stuff or championing who, who you are, they're, they, they're not going to go anywhere. When they are on the other end, giving a lot of direct feedback to improve you know, there might be some things they want to change, but there's also some things they're engaging with. They want to make it better for them because they want to be here. So there's always like dynamics and psychological things that are going on. And I think when you're young, you don't realize that. You don't realize that. You become territorial and become, you know, like entrenched or you become like, you know, personal and battled. Like it's it's a lot of variables. And when you get this element of working for someone directly in a, a pay to play kind of thing, you get a whole nother perspective on what that dynamic or relationship really is, which is an amazing insight. All right. You want to hit this progressive overload? Sure. Awesome. Um, so talked about your programming with your athletes. And a lot of times now you have a little bit more individualization within that. Is that more biomechanics and like looking at it from what exercises they can or can't do or like modifications you may do? Or is there like a physiological aspect of you know rates of progression or different kind of mesocycles or microcycle arrangement? Like how are you structuring your individualization? So. I think it all starts with kind of the basic, the, the biomechanical basics, right? Because what I found is, and, and you've seen this too, is like, I take a very general approach because it's so easy to get caught up in all the things that you see. I was lucky enough to, like I said, I worked for Jonas Duration. His, his, the coaching eye that he has is unbelievable. And it was and then he, you know, he told me about Dan Paff's coaching. Up. And I went out and saw Dan Paff and what he, what he thought. And I was like, whoa. And then I started going down the route of some different therapists that were recommended from Dan Paff. And I'd watch people work on people and I'd see, they'd see things that I never saw before. And I started seeing these things and I'd be like, oh, that foot is rotated like this, this is that and the other thing. And I'd see them do work on people and then they get better and they'd see it. And then I was like, oh God, that's awesome. Like that's where it needs to start. And then I'd get further down and like I'd meet these doctors who are, uh, you know, adjusting people's blood work and noticing the, the, el- the, the dryness of their elbows um, and their knee. And then, and then 
and like, you know, I just kept going down. I, I was being exposed to the best. I mean, I swear the best nutrition therapists, doctors, all the coaches, and they saw it all. And I went through a couple of years all struggling to see it all and fix it all and realizing I wasn't fixing anything. And then I got back to being extremely general and I was like, Oh, can make squat. Well, and the, and people told me this as I'm going along, but it's, just, it's a, I feel like it's a journey of a strength of a dumb strength coach where you, you get told this stuff and you're, then you know everything. And then you realize you don't know anything. You should have listened to them when they told you the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I went through that plenty of times. And uh, then I realized I'm like, yeah, if I can get them to squat better, if I can get them to squat, do a good push up, do a good inverter row, do a good split squat, and then, you know, start to handle in all the other things like, well, then I'm going to know where they need to go from there. And what I found was like, I'd see these kids walk in with all this stuff. Like, oh, what's like, like, you know, I had what today was when coach was like, hey, you notice what's happened to this guy's foot? I said, yeah, yeah. But he's also just weak as heck. I'm like, unless he just like, he can't squat, he can't do anything. We'll just let him train for a few weeks and we'll see what happens. And like, you know, I was lucky enough to work with a bunch of like middle school kids too. Um, Cause there's no compliance issues or anything like that. So I'd work with these little kids and be the same thing. Like they couldn't, you know, there's nothing, but we just, I put them through the same body weight circuit with ISOs and things like that. And I just be like, I'd start to see everything clean up by just doing those foundational movements and just holding them accountable for all the little things. So I'd start very general because it didn't matter, but I, I didn't know. I didn't know where to take them individually until I started very, very general mm-hmm. for my coaching eye to learn from them so much. Like I'll have everyone, every freshman come in and do like a 30 weights, 30 second body weight hold uh, in squat, row, push up and split squat. Because it's such a low baseline that I'm going to see all the ankle ranges of motion, all the different ranges of motion I'm going to see. I'm going to see fatigue when they fatigue out, but it's going to be such a low entry that I'm not going to get them hurt. We talked about having skin in the game, right? Uh, I'm not going to have a coach be like, what the hell did you do with this guy? I'm like, I held him to hold his body weight. And if they hear that, they're like, man, he was, he really wasn't in shape. Like, I know. Luckily I didn't have him do more. Yeah. Um, and, and young kids, you know, if, if I'm having to do it and then, you know, parents are always concerned about getting into weight training too soon. Well, that's their body weight. You know, we, we're going to see where they're at. So starting very general, then I can say, man, that guy, we really need pretty thankful flexibility as we go along. Hey, we really need to, like, they just have no hip strength. They have no upper body strength. And then I'm able to individualize a little bit more. That's when like the incoming freshman. Now, most of the teams I've been with, uh, I've been with a long time. So it's just kind of like I do that introducing individual, like, you know, small groups, maybe one to 10 kids a year of doing that. And then I decide. But the team in general, I, I stick with kind of like that general approach, approach of taking the, the basics, basic movements and letting the group kind of tell me where we need to go. And I try to hold them all to a similar standard. And I'm just very aware of, like we talked about the coaching eye earlier on. And that's when I get individualized. Hey, you need a heel lift. Hey, you don't need a heel lift. Hey, maybe we should actually go safety squat bar with you instead of front squat right now. One being because it's better for you. Two being maybe I can't coach you as hard as I want because I have 60 people in here at once. That's a, it's an ultimate truth. And I'll tell, I'll be honest with them. Like, I want you to be able to do this, but you need to get stronger in squatting. So this will make it easier for you to get stronger while I won't be able to coach you at every rep like I need to. But it's effective, you know, and, and they appreciate the honesty and like, okay, yeah, I'd rather do that than, you know, get worse off. So I think I start so general and then I, I rely a lot on athlete feedback. I'm open with them. I want them to be open with me. And if I start, quote unquote, slow enough, then it gives me the, the real time 
data that I can, that I can watch everything and be like, okay, this is where it needs to go. This is where it needs to go. This is where it needs to go. And I make a bunch of notes. And the next program usually rolled out is a little more, I wouldn't say individualized, but like kind of tighter to, to where we need to be. But we don't lose ground at all. It's not like, you know, oh, I didn't have an individualized program, so I wasn't making ground. No, you're still basically getting stronger. Now I'm here. I'm, I'm just divvying this up here and there. I mean, as I'm with the program, as I'm with an athlete longer, it makes it even easier because then I don't have to worry. And they understand our, our technical model, how we load, and they understand all those things. So now it makes the adjustments to, for, to be more individual even easier because I'm like, hey, David, I want you doing this. It doesn't even say in your program, but write it on your program because in the next three weeks, that's what you're going to do. So I start very general, get specific as my eyes and as I, as athletes present things to me. And I don't know if it's the best way, but I think it's a way that's been working pretty well so far. But I'm always open if there's any, any ways to improve it. Um, that's kind of like how I start the individuality of it. Hmm. I don't know if I missed anything. No, no. Because um, you brought up probably the most important point on progressive overload that nobody ever talks about is where do you start? Where the hell do you start? Right. I mean, how many days do you walk in? Like, All right, we're going to do this protocol and it's going to be this set rep tempo scheme. And we're going to pair these exercises and we're rattling through it. And then you get to the racks and everyone's like, what weight do I use? You know, I'm like, like, oh yeah, yeah. Shoot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just be really conservative, you know? And I think when it's easily the biggest issue I get whenever I start a new protocol with my clients, or it's easily the biggest issue I have with our coaches of, trying to implement the protocol and they get asked that question, they're caught on their heels. Like, I don't know. I, no one knows. No one has any idea on that. So what we do know is, well, I can at least rule out, can they do the movement, you know? And from there I get a, I can start to whittle out a bunch of things, right? Like you had a shitty night's sleep. All right. Maybe we can't go towards this thing. Like, cause we're not working with that. Like the, the extreme version of this of like pull up and charts or, you know, the Kaizen method or like all these other things that we can get from rates of progression. Like, oh, we're going to do a two-week meso with a 10% change week to week. We don't have that information with 90 to 100% of the people we're working with. So we're kind of flying blind until we start. And then you have that like critical juncture where it's like, well, I can at least rule out what the movements they can do. And I can at least rule out with, hey, we can, we can always add. It's like cooking, but we can never subtract. And I think that's part is like your default there of like just relying more of like the biomechanics of like, let's just figure out what they can do first. And then we can kind of get a little bit more specific on what we can actually do from there. But I think that's something you have to learn the hard way, really, honestly, because you get so caught up in the weeds of like, you went to, you went to Altus, you, you work with Jonas, you work with all these high level people in the protocols and you're like, damn, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm really fired up on that. I'm stoked on it. And then you get to that first thing of like, Oh, that exercise just looks like dog shit, man. They can't even do it in the first place. Like I got to backtrack here. Like just do a good inverted row. Just do your body weight and just hold the bottom. Like if they feel like they're looking at the throwing up in their mouth from doing a pause body weight squat, like probably need to still it down. Like we're not going into this advanced level protocol with these rates of changes that I've predicted in my mind, which is a fantastic insight. So you know, with that being said is, do you kind of start with a very general set and rep scheme, even combined with that, like protocol of like very general movement patterns of inverted row, split squat, uh, a basic body weight squat, and then a push up? Yeah, I always just start with my golfs, my volleyball, women's lacrosse, things like that, where maybe the strength values are kind of a little bit lower. I always start with that, mm -hmm. that kind of like 
30 second holds one day. We'll do, you know, the, maybe three rounds of it. And then we did a dynamic version of the same exercise. So you do a squat 30 second hold. We go through three rounds of, of that with the other things. And then we come back to the dynamic version. We do 10 reps, you know, eight to 10 reps. And it's just body weight on a tempo, teaching them tempo and things like that. And, that, and then and right there, like, you know, that's, that's how I kind of the stock start maybe. And I tell people and parents and things like that. It could last three weeks. It could last five weeks. It could last two weeks or it could last one week. Like it could be so stupid for you for like, and then we could, I'll say, all right, get over there with the, with the rest of the team. But you know, here's the little modifications we're going to make. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not afraid to speed people up, uh, but I'd rather start them slower uh, if anything, but then I, I get more just traditional sets the hardest part for me when it was taking the set rep schemes that I learned and then trying to adapt it to the technical models was that the attention spans for technique doesn't last as long sometimes as the set rep schemes that make sense. Mm-hmm. So for example, like instead of like a four by eight on the squat being great, like five by five is better because a kid can keep, and even at a lower intensity, a kid can keep better focus for five reps. And I just, I maybe I can add sets onto there or something like that. So even though I was, I was giving a little bit and what I thought was like your typical, like, this is the best, you know, set rep scheme for this type of uh, outcome. I was getting the technical outcome. And that's right. You know, when you first asked me about like talking about progressive overload, I'm like, I don't really know if I, if I'm an expert like you are, but I know that I've progressively overloaded people (laughs) (laughs) by just, uh, you know, like really seeing what's in front of me. Uh, my biggest mentor, Ryan Reynolds, who's actually over at Kansas City uh, now um, with the Chiefs, he at Arizona State, he, you know, he would always tell because he was the smartest student. And like, I mean, this dude's brain is amazing. Um, he's probably getting mad at me for even talking about him. But, um, you know, he would tell me that he, I would ask him, but what should I be doing reading this? What should I be reading this? And he'd be like, hey, the best professional development you're going to do is is on the floor coaching. And when I thought about that. And when I think about that and I'm in there doing it, sets and rep schemes don't matter to me. You know, I did, I planned that ahead of time, right? I plan that's all planned out. Like you said, that's all, that's, that's standard. Like you have to coming in. Well, what matters is that day, what was in front of you, what, what they're putting out, what you can get out of them. Right. And, that, and then, then it doesn't really matter. The set rep, I'd rather cut a kid two reps too early and say, great job. That's all I cared about today. You know, there's types of things like that. Not, and that's not a regular thing. We're always cutting. But like, if we have something, a goal in mind of, and progressively getting better with it, we can get away from, I think I can, and I shouldn't say we can, I don't know if everyone can, but I can get away from some of the traditional, like being, being, feeling stuck with my set rep scheme, because I know that I'm, I'm slowly getting something better, but I also have the the benefit of getting that kid again in two days and in clients and everything like that, you don't always get that. Like, so if I know that I, I can get such frequency just because they're here, they got nothing else to do. Then it helps me with my progressive overload with knowing that I can look at a week worth of work instead of the, just the session worth of work. And if I can get them to understand that it's not just that day, say we missed a rep that day or, or maybe didn't go as heavy that day, but we're going to get two more exposures that week. So this week is a lot of good loading as opposed to just worrying about the one day. Mm. You know, it's amazing. Know. No, it's a really interesting insight because you know, one of the things that I think is very, very poorly understood, and I don't think there's a really good single source of information on how to do this, is the logistics of running a group. And when it's just you by yourself and 60 people, the more com- more complicated that program is, 
the more difficult it is to manage that program. What you've basically just explained to me was this idea of like, you have a standard of what your objective for that session, and you want a certain level of execution for movement. You want a certain stimulus. And once you get that, everything on top of that is just icing on the cake. And when I think people walk into a, a group session and they, and I think this is the issue with like going to a Poliquin seminar, which is exposing yourself to an amazing world of what you could do with one-on-one and then coming to the reality of having 50 people in front of you and knowing that that is no transfer to what you're doing with this large group. And there's no explanation or no conversation about that. And like the, the nuances of 50 people and, and how are you managing now 50 different programs Regardless if it's the same set, rep scheme, exercise scheme, it's still 50 different programs because you have 50 different individuals and you have to make a split second decision on like, this is no longer effective. You're done. Or, hey, that's too light. Go heavier. Or that exercise is not working today. What happened? I sprained my ankle playing basketball yesterday. Why are you playing basketball? Not the point. Who cares? You can't do it today. What are we doing? (laughs) You know, like these things that come up constantly and you're just dealing with it on a daily basis. And you're like, okay, how do you walk away from that session knowing it's successful? I'm like, you know, you're going, okay, I'm scratching my head. I'm a young strength coach building myself up. Like I wrote this elaborate program and it was shit. It was just no, there was no compliance. It was awful across the board. I did a shitty job today. I planned, I worked my ass off prior to, I went into some, several seminars, I read several books. And then I put together this really elaborate high level program that was just executed really poorly. On the other end, it's, Hey, I'm going to put together something that I know everyone could be successful. And then I can pull people up from that and I can pull people in directions that make it more challenging or I can pull people in other directions of, okay, we're going to go back down here and we're going to stay here. We're going to stay at this thing. And the unfortunate truth about large groups is you're either doing two directions. You're programming to the lowest common denominator or the, what you expect the worst person to be in the room. But college athletes are a little bit higher than normal people. So it's not like this super simple distilled down, watered down program. But on the other end, it's, you could program to the top highest echelon person. So you could program up or down. What we learn probably more so than not is you start programming down and then you start to pull the people who are doing really well upwards because that's easier direction. When you program top down and you have to tell that person who's just really struggling, you got to go down. It's a lot harder conversation. It's a lot more friction. It's a lot more them feeling dejected and less than and inadequate. It's easier to say, you're doing great. Go up to the next level, buddy. Or that person that's really struggling, like you're doing this awful. We're going to send you back down to the minors, man. Like, sorry, you don't have what it takes. We're not programming down to the lowest common denominator around here. Just save yourself the friction and the headache and make, have a good day. You know, like, like you walk in, like, Hey, everything here is going to be really good. And I know that because I plan this accordingly and I know what we need, but I also know in that moment, I don't know what's going to happen. And I know I need to have contingencies, which is, is this. I think an unfortunate thing we don't talk about a lot. So thank you for sharing that. So things that I'm thinking about now, and this could get a little bit more granular, you know, in regards to like the next level and the directions you want to go, I'm sure you're going to have a lot of overlap with in-season and off-season. I'm sure there's probably situations where you have in-season, off-season guys and girls working out together at the same time. You know, how are you managing the aggregate stress on that daily basis for an in-season, off-season athlete or an athlete in finals or an athlete who's in their freshman year is just overwhelmed versus a senior athlete. Like, and thinking about week to week of managing or tempering expectations for, you know, rates of progression, because a lot of it's still novel and new and they're going to have incredible results early, but 
you're hitting that brick wall of like the October, November for the freshman or that, Hey, we're getting into playoffs and they got finals and got a shit ton of stuff on their plate. Like, what are you looking at for? What are your expectations to progress from week to week and month to month? They are in various parts of the year. Well, so I try to be very upfront with them, especially each team, each team needs something different. You know, some people, some teams want, want me to know that uh, I'm there for them and that, if they got something we can adjust, I can tell them back. You can, you can do whatever you need to do. Like, well, I'm, I'm here for you. And then they appreciate that. And they work harder. Other teams want me to tell them that I don't give a shit what you're doing this week, what you got going on. This is how it's going to help you when you want, when you get to the final four or national championship. So even though we got the most stress that we're ever going to have this year, we're going to work our asses off and hold each other accountable through it. So I got to figure out like which team I'm talking to each time. Mm-hmm. And like before each group, I have to like, mentally reset myself because um, the change happens so quickly, but that's what I love about working in Olympic sports. I have women's golf and I love them and they work hard as hell and they listen really well. So they're, they're, you know, but you know, some days they just, they're off, they don't have it and they don't want to hear this bald guy yell at them there over and over again, but they do like when I hold them accountable for everything. And then I get men's across comes in afterwards, 60 guys that just got off the field are sweating and, and they're all, you know, playing grab ass and, and, and they want to be, they want to be told, let's go, let's, you know, let's get this shit going, blah, blah, blah. So you'll see me literally like, as they're leaving, I'll just, I'll, you know, turn around and blow a whistle. And the girls always laugh at me and like, like, Eric, you don't talk to us like that. You know, then it's all over this. So I think the first thing is I have to get myself mentally where I need to go to figure out where we're at, uh, to figure out what, what they need for the, for that training block. It's not just that day all the time, you know, cause I still train, you know, set up the training knowingly, like you said, if it's in finals week, well, the workouts and this as a team that's off season, just give me three sessions this week. Like mm. not going to be out of the park. I don't care. You just, I just want to keep training going and mm. I plan it to be less. So, so that those, those sensitive blocks, I plan accordingly, but I also communicate accordingly uh. because a lot of them are going to have such high expectations for themselves. I need to say, Hey, you are not going to have your best week this week. And if you do great, if not, you're training three days this week and the next two weeks. And that's going to be better than you just sitting uh, hunker down in a, in your dorm room feeling miserable. So that's one thing. Now, if it's, if it's finals and postseason, which we'll have that with lacrosse and golf and stuff like that, then it's trying to chase the intensity with the lowest volume that we can handle. And so they walk out feeling better. I want them to walk out of the gym feeling better when they have the most stressful times. And I want to keep the, just enough intensity on there that we're keeping what we worked on uh, earlier on. I still push. We still got to push. They still got to feel that. But then like we talked about the individuality. I've worked with these, these kids for a full year. So I know what makes them tick. I know the guy who does 38,000 yards of work in a week. And I go up to him and say, light and quick today. All right. All right. Sounds good. You know, and then I know the other guy that says that's the red shirt or, you know, that's trying to make his thing going like, Hey, keep the pedal to the metal. And that's where I find the most fun in the group coaching is flying around, literally, I'm running around during sessions to communicate those little things that get the individuality to happen during those rough parts. I program accordingly, but I have to communicate it accordingly to what makes them tick. And that, and that's where I think to see the, the biggest changes happen and in, in, in how the session is uh, the outcome sessions for individuals goes. Yeah. It, it, you're getting me nostalgia here. Cause uh, I'm thinking back to my time as a college strength coach and you know what, what dials to turn and what levers to pull with your athletes and the, the concentric circle off of that, right? Like you go to that just workhorse and say like, 
I'm putting a ceiling or a cap on you. I'm putting a governor's on you today. And the, the impact off of that across everyone else and giving them the permission to have a day that's built in within the rest of the week. Like this is the shittiest part of the year. You don't have to be this like ambassador for hard work and dedication and setting PRs every time you're in here. In fact, the most important thing we do is give the message to everyone that we're here and we're going to train really, really hard, but in a different way. On the other end, it goes into this dynamic of, you know, we always talked about this in various schools I was at, but when they're in a hole, don't give them, don't give them a shovel, give them, give them a rope. And coming off a loss or coming off a situation of that, like you got to go to that senior, that's a workhorse, the part, person that's putting in the most work is that everyone's leaning in on and saying, I need you today and need you to, you need you to pull us out of this. And you know, you got to push and you got to set the example. And it would always freak Hess out because I was more like in season, I put autonomy on the athletes and I have trust with them. Right. And like, what do you got today? And if you let a couple of people that I had an army go, you might see a couple 200 kilo front squats in season, you know, and then everything like, oh shit, that's what we're doing today. Like, and you see down the line, everyone just start taking blues on and start smacking them on the outside, as opposed to greens and whites. And you're like, and has like, hey man, we gotta slow these guys down. Like, you want me to stop this guy who's fucking smashing a 200 kilo front squat day after playing a game, 70 snaps, having three tackles for a loss and 12 tackles overall? You want me to tell him no? Oh, by the way, that's too heavy. He just smoked 190. I'm not worried about him smoking 200, but I am worried about the other 75 people in this room right now who don't know how what hard training is and what the example is to do. And let you forget we have Navy in four weeks and they're not they're not holding back. And like, he'd be like, ah, and then it would be like, all right, once he smashes it and then down the line, because it's all about momentum in a, in a team environment. And either you got to slow momentum down to, for the greater good, or you got to start to be catalytic and saying, Hey, like I got to lean in on you. And it's a fun part of like, and you don't know, you really don't know until you get in there when you have that guy or girl that you know, is the the tipping point for the rest of the group, what they're feeling, you know, and you start seeing them put the wellnesses, wellness scores in, it's like twos across the board. Like, all right, you know, I got to say, Hey, we got to pull back because if they feel like shit, everyone else is going to feel like shit. If they feel great, everyone else better start feeling great because that's the standard today. And that element of it, throw out progressive overload. Like we're so 2% jump this week. It's, it's fucking go time. <laughs> like, you know, like we got to get ourselves in, the, in positive momentum, have a great week and start setting that precedent now, which is, a fun element of team setting strength conditioning because it's an amazing dynamic and ecosystem that you're managing and having a, a mild, but like direct influence on, you know, it's an amazing concept. But I think you can, you know, an important thing, but like knowing your background and the back, the things that I try to do, we can't have those moments unless we set an incredible foundation mm-hmm. um, because there's teams that I had that with, especially when I first take them over where we can't get to that moment yet. And I tell them, I'll be straight up front with them. Like, we're not good enough at training yet to for you guys to get crazy. Like, you don't impress me with that. And like, you know, when I first started taking over a team, like, you know, they, I had a full year like that. And the guys actually like were pissed it. And because, uh, you know, they try to max out bench press. And I'd be like, dude, what the hell? Like, and, you know, oh, man, we're, you know, you always try to tell them. But now I don't have that issue. But it took time. And now I can feed into those sessions. I can feed in those and be like, yeah, let's go. Come on. Who's going to, who's going to add on? Come on. You know, choice words here and there. And, um, but that doesn't happen unless you have the foundation and everything set because then that's when people get hurt. Yeah. Right. And you're worried about that because 
your foundation was so solid and you knew they would stop themselves before they, they're technically. So I think that's important. It's the best part of the job, but it takes a lot of work to have those moments. There's so many pre, uh, preceding conversations about like, you know, bench press isn't a team sport. So if there's more than two hands on the bar, it's a miss. And everyone just like, but I'm training hard. Like activity is not the same as accomplishment. Like it could put any weight in the bar, like put up that bar with 800 kilos. I'll try to clean it. And I'll miss, but I gave great effort, right? Like the intent was there. Like, it takes zero skill. It takes zero ability. It takes zero work ethic. Like just putting a weight on there that you want to try to hit on any given day is not a testament to hard work and dedication. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's just you being misguided and confused on what this is. It's getting the opportunity to do that through the hard work and the dedication over a period of time. So when we do get to that point where it's week seven of the season and you know we just came up a loss and we got to start tapping into some different incentives and motivational strategies from a, hey, I got a senior leader that's pissed and doesn't want to lose another game. Like, okay, great. Like, and I know what that's going to do is set the precedent down the road. And three years later, when that team's averaging 10 wins a season and beating Navy and winning the commander in chief trophy, you can start to say like, yeah, I know exactly how hard they're training in November. And I know they're not missing. I know they're not missing reps and training like assholes. They're just basically coming, hey, this I got a job to do. Let's train my ass off today and execute in the technique, which... I guess the whole point of progressive overload is to try to get to that point where it actually really matters and really means something and have the ability to do it. Right. Like, cause that doesn't, if you don't have that outlet or that, that at least true North of like, who gives a shit how much we squat in six months out from the season, what really matters is if I'm in season and I can execute in the weight room in a very short, but brief manner, can I get a 30 minute segment session and everyone hitting really threshold weights that is going to be stimulating and facilitative. Like the confidence you get from hitting what you hit in the off season, or maybe even better and executing at a high level means I'm going to have a better next off season. And it means that whatever we did up to that point was right. You know, cause that's the whole point of whenever I'm looking at any in season programming or even off season program, like I'm thinking longer term from not to the beginning of preseason from when we're trying to peak for a championship. And what do I need to do from inroads? You probably felt that with your shot put background. It's like, I, I don't give a shit about any of this until it leads to like actually that championship and I can throw a shot put further. And I think you build that mindset in early and you start to look at it, the techniques, the problem in January with the football program. That's what we got to focus on. If people don't have an appreciation and awareness in the weight room, that's what we got to focus on. I got to give a lot of hum- humble pie here and tell everyone like, don't train like an idiot, like stop it. And I'll physically rack the bar on them or, I'll just give them some sort of scolding conversation about like, you have no idea what we're doing. So I'm going to regress you to today because you don't have the opportunity to do that. Like you've lost a privilege to do these exercises or this set reps game because you have no concept of what we're doing right now. And I think that part is something that you never really see in the back end. You know, when I see like great strength coaches out there like yourself and Alan Bishop and other guys who are, you know, putting the program out there. You know, the the conversations before or that knucklehead freshman that's showing up late, that's just doing Versa Climber three or f- three out of the four days of the week, you know, like you're not showing those videos, but that's probably the more important thing is like creating the infrastructure that standards and the way you do something matters and being consistent matters and being accountable, not just to yourself, but to your teammate matters. And like showing up and having pride in the work that you're doing, you know, like that stuff is not going to get on an Instagram video, but it's probably the most valuable thing you're doing for that person, that team and then what it does is allows for whatever output you're putting out there to the world to show your value as a strength coach to be like shine and do all those amazing things. And 
I know Joey Burgles really well, and I know the stuff he puts out there, and I know the conversations we have about, like, he's coaching middle schoolers at a 7 a.m. session. He's got 50 kids on the field, and he's like, yeah, all we're doing is just body weight split squats with pauses. And they're like, that's it. Like, I'm not doing anything else. And I'm like, yeah, well, and he's like, it's not a sexy video. No one gives a shit about that. But they like seeing the other stuff. But the only way he gets to that is by doing the hard work goal before that. Uh, which again is the whole point of progressive overload. So I got one more question for you here. And this is uh, something that I'm thinking about, you know, myself personally with a lot of uh, the, the people that I work with, you know, when you get to these, like, you know, quote unquote end of the road for an exercise, right? Like you're reaching the the apex, right? Like there's very little margins of room. What is your thought process there? It's, is it, like, and you'll say they're a junior or let's say they're a sophomore. Like, you know that you're getting to this, like, um, this plateauing effect. Is your thought process is like, all right, now I need to manage after that for the next two years or the next year. Is it, I need to get a whole new stimulus and changing the exercise, getting a whole new set rep scheme. And what is that process of like, you know, the proverbial football, 300 pound clean, 500 pound squat, 400 pound bench. You know, is it like, oh, let's just get to that benchmark again, or is it progressing past that into something different into a whole new echelon? Good question. Um, well, I don't get there a lot of times. Uh, honestly, like, you know, the sports that I have, the strength reserves aren't absolutely nor- enormous coming in, like with football. And and when I used to work with shot put in the, in the Olympic lift. So I'll touch on that because I, I or with the th- uh, throwing events, because I have felt it with them, but my other teams, by the time I feel like they get somewhere, we're like, oh, man, we're getting close to like, this doesn't make sense anymore. They go home for break and then they come back and I got to start them back up. So that's probably the biggest, like, I find that I have too many breakups in the season where I don't get there uh, with those guys, with guys or girls. So a lot of the sports, I don't get there. When the, the individuals I can think of over the past in those Olympic sports that I have, I literally watch them do something that's amazing. And they both realize like we can't do much more. And I be like, hey you are strong enough to be an elite athlete. You are like now just make sure you keep getting better at your sport and we just keep you healthy. And I'll literally say that to him. Like, you're like, we don't need to go anymore. Like I'm going to keep training you hard. Don't get me wrong. But like, there's no reason why you shouldn't be the the best volleyball, whatever player you should be. So don't take one less stressor off your life. Don't worry about the weight room as much. Like just keep training, keep yourself healthy, keep explosive, things like that. Which takes Uh, a lot of humility on your part too, by the way. Like that's, you know, the proverbial, like, all right, now I want to keep bringing value to that person and having the courage to tell that person, it's like, you did it. <laughs> like, you, you know, become the <laughs> best do anything else. player. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I agree, man. It's awesome. Um, and the other thing that I kind of build into that is I really like the Olympic lifts. And the Olympic lifts in general, it's like forever before you're really good at them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially for four years. So, you know, it may be one of those things where we didn't get, we, we maybe now we're pulling from the floor. Maybe we never get there. You know, mm-hmm. maybe it's like, shit, you're so good at everything. Let's try pulling you from the floor today. It's just that block's easy for you. Or, you know, that position's easy for you. Let's try this. You know, so little tweaks in that, right? So they're still getting their, getting their fix in there. And then like with the throwers and stuff that I have had, I, that's literally the conversations I've, I've been like, dude, you are strong as shit. I'm like, you don't need, like, we need to work on, you know, how you accelerate it. Let's, let's maybe let's do, let's put a Tendo unit on there. Let's again, a little Olympics. Let's challenge that. Uh, let's dial this back a little bit, but like, you you can bench 500 you don't need to you don't need to bench anymore the, the shot weighs 16 pounds uh we need to work on your conversion and just have those specific conversations with them like if i get to there then it's just like yeah i'm a strength coach for sports like i'm not a powerlifting coach i'm not an olympic lifting coach 
this is kind of where, where uh, I, I don't feel like I can't do anything. And usually the, I can have a conversation with a coach and, and they're usually already there. They're like, yeah, they like the weight room better than they do this, the, the sport. And then that's, I'm like, Hey, do you want to be better thrower? And they'd be like, yeah. Okay. Well then you need to talk to coach about how you guys can work on, you know, different weights, blah, blah, blah. Cause you're, you're really good here. I don't want to pull away from what you're trying to be. And maybe they say, yeah, I don't really like that much. I'd be like, all right, well then just keep training. Yeah. Um, I heard a really interesting line one time about uh, coaching in general, where you got to be a bamboo farmer that bamboo trees grow zero for the first two years. And then 90% of their growth comes out to the second year, uh, which you basically just delayed gratification with Olympic lifts, right? Like you're just, you're just waiting and waiting and waiting and the timing, the rhythm, even the flexibility and the coordination and just all those things. It's just, this is not moving at a very exponential rate. And then one day you're looking around like, Holy shit, we got half the room cleaning over a hundred kilos out of the hang. Like, how the fuck did that happen? You know, like, you know, like these like these like transformative moments where you feel like you're just basically banging your head against a wall and then it manifests and you start looking at other performance aspects like, Oh, RFD on, I mean, we do a nice mid thigh pull. It's like gone up exponentially. Like that's, Oh wow. Okay. You know that now I see a pretty sharp slope with everybody where it's just now gradual slow hill that they can reach high force output, but they sucked or, you know, something like they're, their counter movement jump has improved exponentially. Like we see this massive spike, like where the hell did that happen from? Like, Oh wow. Okay. Like we put in the time and we worked on it and just being psycho on things like barbell warmups. Like I remember just, just absolutely losing my mind on barbell warmup. Like that's the way you're going to lift it when it's heavy. Like I just telling you, like you can't just turn the switch on when you put up a hundred kilos in the bar. Like it's not the way this works. So you've got to be good from start to finish. And uh, we always joke with them. Double A about this, but Tommy Moffitt was a strength coach at Tennessee and double A was a super strong guy, national champion shot putter, et cetera, et cetera. And he would just rush to like, you know, hundred kilos on Hank power snatch. And Tommy's like, you know, world champions warm up with greens. Right. And he'd always be like, yeah, I get it, man. I've just thrown, I'm already warm. He's like world champions grow, warm up with greens. You think you're better than a world champion? You think you're better than a person who's been doing this entire life and only does weightlifting day in, day out. They still warm up with greens. And he's like, ah, yeah, yeah. So we'd always joke with our athletes after that, like, and not any context whatsoever, like world champions warm up the greens. And like, I don't <laughs> fucking get that. I have no idea what the hell you're saying to me. <laughs> and I was giving him a wink. I'm like, yep, yep. Doing what we need to do. But it's just this, like, I think that's it. How you do anything is how you do everything. And it's this, I think that's a, I always enjoyed that aspect of weightlifting. It's a, a more cerebral aspect of like, yeah, you can tell me it's too hard to coach. You can tell me it's, it's not going to have this immediate thing. And I always go back to like the Brian Mann study of looking at, you know, hand clean doesn't translate as much to vertical jumping or vertical jumping as like a dynamic effort squat. Like who's to say that matters? Like it's causation correlation. Like I don't really care. I know I'm better at weightlifting and I know it's important as other things for these other various reasons because of discipline and the consistency and the, the overall, like it's just a great, if they can't do a hand clean, you know, what does that say about other things that, they can't do. And am I avoiding that? Like, and I think about other stuff like lateral A skips, like, yeah, who gives a shit about if they can do lateral A skips. But the point being is if I am avoiding it because they, it's too hard to coach, it's too hard to do. What does that say about me as a coach? You know, the same thing from a hang clean or hang snatch or anything else. Like if I think it brings value and I'm not saying you have to do it with golf and I'm not saying you have to do it even with tennis. I'm not saying you have to do it with any sport. Like I don't do it with my general population clients. 
but it doesn't mean I lose, I don't think of the value from that and then think it instills in that. And from the discipline you need as a coach to get out there and say, pick that bar up more. Don't pick it up like an asshole. Put it back down, flatten your back, get your body in a good position, pick it up how you pick it up if it's a hundred kilos. Like practice it, practice it, practice it. Be de- just be a master of those details because that's the stuff that makes you a good or bad strength coach like in a second. And you can coach that empty bar RDL better than you can coach a hundred kilo RDL. You can coach that muscle clean with a, with 40 kilos better than you can coach a, a full on power clean with a hundred kilos. Like you have a better chance there. So might as well take things with better odds to make an impact on. All right. Take home. Any last message on progressive overload that you kind of like, I made this mistake. I started here and you know, what I tell my interns or my young coaches, like, don't get too crazy about it. Just do this. Is there any kind of like big take home you want anyone out there to know? Uh, I think the biggest thing is just take your time. You have the time, so take it. You know, you'd rather you'd rather not uh, rush someone into a position where if they're a private client, you hurt them, they're never coming back and paying you. Mm-hmm. If they're another athlete that's going to pay with you anyways, you're going to hurt them, and they're not going to trust you anymore. So take your time, and every little jump matters. You know, those one pounders they matter. The progress plates matter. Um, the the little things matter. The different sizes and bars matter. Kids who want to get better, they'll feel they'll they'll know the difference and they'll gravitate to, you know, small jumps, knowing that it's better than they were last week Mm, and keep keep bringing it back to keep showing it to the client and the athlete. How they got better, tell them how you how they improved their workload for the week, whether it's, hey, your overall average intensity was higher for the session. Hey, overall sessions for the week is higher than before. Hey, overall, you're you're one pound heavier than last week. Hey, you didn't go as heavier, but your range of motion improved drastically. And this is how it's going to help. Like help them understand in their language why the little progressive overloads you're doing matter so that they want to, so that they can stay with that progress. It's not just weight on the bar. And so once you keep having those conversations about these little things that are getting better on, then you start to detract the the tension away from just sheer like 135 versus 145 versus 185 versus 200. Mm, That's a really cool insight back in there. It makes me think about we do so many advanced protocols and i'm sure people like seems a little like over overkill but the message is really fun for me when someone comes in like we're doing a paler descending 777 555 protocol right now and everyone walks in like i have no idea what to do great everything we're gonna like have you ever done this before like no and not even with this exercise like great everything you're gonna do today is a pr how cool is that and everything you do next week is gonna be a pr and everything the week after that is gonna pr you're gonna have four weeks of prs that's amazing. Just have four weeks of PRs. That's it, right? Like, and we'll go to a whole new thing next month. And like, you're going to have four more weeks of PRs. You're going to get 52 weeks of PRs this year. Because I guarantee you've never done this set rep scheme with this exercise combination along with that tempo. So why not? Why not every week saying, I got better? Why not give yourself that? Like, why? what, what, do, you have to, what do you have to gain by just maxing out, crashing, and burning week one? Like, who gives a shit what your absolute seven RM is for a paler descending protocol? Like it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Why not just get four weeks in a row of just going up progressively. And then we go to a new thing and we start new, like have that confidence about it. But that was awesome, man. I really appreciate the the time, man. And, um, you know, I think there's a, a big play here of like, you know, one, we have some coaches out there that are expanding their, their horizons and getting out there and hitting different, different worlds like online training too, like, Hey, here's someone in the trenches is doing this at a high level, a place for 12 years that 
has some great insights and wisdom about it. And, you know, I'm sure we could all get overly pedantic with the things that we're reading and the things that we're doing and kind of lose sight of the bigger picture of if someone's to walk in your weight room and say, okay, Eric Hernandez runs a really good program based off of just everyone seems to know what they're doing and they seem to be doing a good job with what they're asked to do. Okay, great. That's probably the biggest signature of you doing your job. You know, how are you going to replicate that as a young strength coach at someplace out there who wants to be in your shoes? So a lot of really great messages and a lot of really great insights, man. So I really appreciate you taking the time, man. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate the dialogue.